0: We are so excited to be going to Phoenix, Arizona for this year's DSO Connect Retreat. Join us June 27th through 29th for three days full of inspiring content and unforgettable connections. The DSO Connect Retreat is truly a life-changing event. You'll gain useful and practical business information to bring your studio to the next level, meet lifelong friends, and join a community where you can finally share and receive support. Take some time to recharge, reinvent, and reconnect with other studio owners. You'll leave inspired and motivated to transform your dance studio. Your ticket includes your lodging at a fabulous estate, all food and beverages, and three days of content and implementation sessions to get stuff done together. This year's seminar topics include staffing from hiring to firing, customer onboarding, social media, financials, website audit, and systems, creating processes for all parts of your business. This amazing event is free for pro-level members of the DSO Connect member vault, $480 for basic level members, and $960 for non-members. Space is extremely limited for this exclusive event, so don't wait. Head on over to DanceStudioOwnerConnect.com and click on the Retreat 2022 tab to learn more and to reserve your spot today. We can't wait to meet you. Hello and welcome to the DSO Connect podcast. I'm Casey. I'm Robin. And we have a special guest today. It is Rhonda Foote. Hello, Rhonda. How
1: are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: Rhonda is the owner and director of Rhonda's Footworks in Watertown, New York. The studio was established in 1987. Wow, amazing. Uh, Rhonda grew up in her mom's dance studio and her daughter is now the assistant director of the studio's company. That is so cool, I love that so much. Rhonda has a Bachelor of Arts degree from Hartwick College and has also been an adjunct English professor. Rhonda and the company have been recognized for numerous community service awards, and the studio has been a finalist for Dance Studio of the Year for two consecutive seasons. So that's wonderful. Good for you. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. So let's start out, Rhonda, with um, just sharing your dance journey, if you could, just how you got started in dance. Obviously, your mom had a studio,
1: so that certainly helps. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, literally my very first conscious memory is staring out of my playpen while my mother taught tap dance on plywood in our living room. Oh so. my
2: God.
1: <laughs> I guess I was destined to dance, although I, I would tell anyone that listened, I was never going to do this, but here I am. So you never know. But yeah, so I grew up dancing with my mom's studio. Um, she traveled a lot of different places, primarily back in the day through NADA, through National Association of Dance and Affiliated Artists, and then also with Dance Caravan. She followed them a lot, Um, so I grew up kind of in that 1980s world of dance, which was pretty fabulous, actually. Made some great friends who I'm still friends with today, so that's an extra perk for me, Um, and then I went off to college um, where I was very involved in dance, even though I wasn't a dance major, and then after college, I went into public relations for for years in D.C., taught dance on the side, and then um, just before I opened my studio, Fort Drum, which is the local military base, expanded, and my mom called and said, hey, could you come back and help for just a few years, and here we are 35 years later, so... (laughs) It was a little more than a few years that we stayed, but um, that's how it all progressed. So did you purchase your mother's dance studio or? I did not. um, She opened a branch studio in Carthage, New York, and I ran that for her. And then um, that was pretty big. So I actually segued into my own studio. A year later, that's when I opened Rhonda's Footworks in Watertown, New York, which is about an hour and 10 minutes from her location at the time. And then um, we did, you know, we worked side by side and did everything together. And she passed um, for brain cancer in 2001. And at the time I was running her studios and mine. It's very overwhelming. (laughs) And, And then initially after she passed, that's when I realized that, Winning trophies was fun on some level, but that I really wanted to go in a different direction with my company. And in 2005, I established the outreach company at our studio.
2: Hmm. Tell us more about that. What is that?
1: So the outreach company, um, our motto and what we live by is, is that we use our talents to serve those in need in the communities that we live in. Since its establishment, we have raised close to $60,000, primarily for local children with medical needs. Um, We've worked hand-in-hand a lot with Children's Miracle Network. My daughter was the 2008 Children's Miracle Network ambassador for the state of New York, so we have a very strong connection with children in medical battles. She's had 40 surgeries of her own, so we get it. Um, And we do go to, like, one competition per season, kind of, you know, as a fun thing to do. And we do quite well. We Then we have, like, an um, optional, some solos go here and there. But our main focus is every year we do a holiday show as a fundraiser for a local child. And we have a gala that focuses on solos. One of the cool things about our company is um, everyone can do a solo not just a select few, because it's not about going to competition with our best dancers. It's about every dancer being able to do their best, whatever that is for them. Um, So we really love the gala. It's a fun event. And then we do a summer ballet. And we pretty much just dance all year round, not focusing on competition routines, but on um, shows and events that we do to benefit others, which is, great, you know, families love it. The kids love it. And I really, really feel like an artist and um, not a trophy winner. So I love that.
2: <laughs> I love that philosophy. And I love that approach. Um, Casey was my student uh, when I started my studio in Baltimore many, many, many years ago when Casey was about four. Mm-hmm. And um, we were always a non-competitive studio. And in Baltimore, there were a lot of competitive studios kind of in Baltimore County, which is like a circle around Baltimore City sort of. And but in Baltimore City, you had more um, conservatory type programs like the Baltimore School for the Arts or the Baltimore Ballet or Peabody. So in the city, most of the programs and that's where we were, were more um, concert oriented, technique oriented. Um, you know, our kids certainly had opportunities to perform, but the competition thing wasn't really in our wheelhouse. And, you um, When I moved up to Pennsylvania, there was more of a, you know, it was more of a small town vibe and the other studio was doing competition. But I decided that'll be our differentiating point from the Mm -hmm. other studio in the area is that they do competition and we don't. And that's fine, but this is something different. And interestingly, I think this is a very timely topic because, you know, recently Chasta's uh, book came out, Trash the Trophies, which... I really liked it. Oh, we um, <laughs> had her on the podcast. That was great. Yes. But are you noticing, as I am, that in the Facebook groups, a lot, every I mean, I guess it's big competition season right now, but every other post is I had a terrible experience at competition. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure people have that many positive experiences as well. But the ones that I see as an outsider are this wasn't good for me what is wrong with these competitions? Why are they doing what? They don't like the scheduling. They don't like the judging. They don't like the inappropriateness of certain people. And it, I, it as a studio owner and as a consultant to studio owners, I, I just, I'm shaking my head. I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And the answer that I always get is, first of all, our families are used to it and they would push back if we didn't do competition, which is a temporary problem because you train that next generation to not expect it. And those people will shut off. So that's a temporary problem that you would have to, you know, navigate through. But also, um, the other thing, and that's what we're talking about today is what, what are you working for if you're not working for competition? And my answer and your answer and Casey's answer is there's so many things, there's so many things to do. And I think that, um, it's very important that we keep throwing these ideas out to studio owners so that they can see that there are alternatives and they don't have to be kind of held captive by this competition world if they don't like it. Certainly, if you love it and it's working for you, go for it. But if
1: you feel trapped by it, know that there are alternatives. Exactly. And I think that one of the things that we've really learned in the last few years is that life is about balance. And I think that, you know, we we have worked to find that balance for what works for our studio. So yes, I do have people that do love to compete, and that's fine and good. But um, I think there has to be an alternative for the people who do not. I'm also very much not interested in going to very big, hyped up competitions. And I think that maybe some of the studio owners, you know, they don't know. To shop around a little bit, that every competition is unique and different. And, um, Mm. you know, I think that even the ones that don't fit me, um, they're always very receptive to a conversation about, hey, you know, how do you run things? What do you do? What are you looking for? And, um, you know, they're not the bad guys. They just do things that maybe a smaller studio or a very not, you know, I don't have kids that take five, six days a week. So for me to go to a huge competition against students that do serves no purpose. You know, it's, it's self-defeating for my dancers and it doesn't put them in the best light. So um, ask around, you know, <laughs> do a little research.
2: That's a really good point because Casey and I talk a lot about how different studios um, have different philosophies and different way, different approaches, and there should be a studio for all kids. So, for example, my studio and Casey's studio are very different um, in a lot of ways. They're similar in some ways, but if we lived in the same town, a family could look at both of us and then also look at Holly's studio and you know Heather's studio, and they're all so different. And you should be able to choose the business that suits what you're looking for. However, sometimes studio or sometimes the competitions, I think, try to be all things to all people instead of like maybe marketing toward a, uh, maybe I'm, I'm speaking, but it seems like what you're saying is as a studio or find the competition that suits what you're looking for. The big ones aren't for everyone and listen exactly. to what their marketing is. If they're saying, you know, we're we're more about the art artistry or we're more about the beginners or whatever, listen to that and do f- seek those out so that people can be more compatible with one. Another.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. going to love my theory. This is what I tell everybody. I say, think of dance studios like pizza and choose your toppings and then let everyone enjoy their slice of pizza and do not talk badly about other people's pizza. That's it. <laughs> That's so hard for some people, man. But it's the it truth, is. you know, and, and I do think that um, the other side of the flip, you know, the flip side of that is I think that a lot of studios who choose to do what we do in today's day and age are made to feel less than
0: mm-hmm.
1: by others. And I am a big proponent of saying, you know, if a dancer goes off to college And they're interviewed. They are never going to ask them what titles they won, um, what trophies they won. Mm -hmm. They're going, but if they can say, you know, I danced and I raised all this money and recognition for someone in need in our community, that has such depth and meaning to their future. So that's that's how I feel about it. That's my angle.
2: I agree with that. I agree with that. 100%. One hundred percent. So, should we talk about specific um, events that you put on that maybe might spark some of our listeners' ideas about? Oh, maybe I can do that instead of doing four competitions a year or something.
0: I was going to say, take us through your calendar again, through your season and when your when your different performances are.
1: Okay, so we start um, the season in late August when we have an intensive, and that company intensive is a mandatory event, it's kind of like a meet and greet for everyone, we get to know each other, we do a big and little program in our studio, so we're big on mentoring, so they get to meet their bigs and establish relationships, or, you know, keep them going if they've had the same little for several years, Um, I have a girl that's graduating this year that's had One girl is her little for seven years now. So they're like real sisters. Um, And then I usually bring in several guest artists um, and they dance for three days and that starts our season. And then um, the next thing that we do is in October, we do what I call Upstate Dance Shop. And we formed our own little nest egg. It's called the Northern New York Artist Alliance. And right now it's just three studios spanning like a five hour radius that are all of kind of a like mindset. And what we do is we exchange master classes. So this is another thing for teachers to think about if you're on a low budget. So I go and I teach tap and my daughter does contemporary. And then the other teacher comes to my studio and does acro and jazz. And we just exchange the trips um, and, and call it a day. So
2: specifically how that works financially is that you teach for free, but the studio that's hosting can charge their customers for the classes, right? And then they generate income yes. and then you, it, you, you, swap. I love that. We kind of do that a little bit with our field trip. Um, love
1: it. That's a great idea. So that's worked out really nicely. Yeah. And, and the dancers, you know, sometimes they bring dancers with them to my studio. I take some to theirs um, so the kids get to meet each other too, like minded children, which is really nice. Um, and so we're, we're just starting that the season It's the first time we've done it. And we've done things like we're doing Zoom events if we can't make it back and forth, um, if our schedule is busy or whatever. So we do that. And then um, we always do a holiday show Before you go on to the holiday show. One other thing that I would say
2: about your um, masterclass exchange. Is you know one of the things that studio comp, studio owners who like competition, one of the things they like, like about competition is getting their dancers to see dancers from other studios, and so you're just solving that problem right there. Because I know at my studio, sometimes the girls at the top feel like they don't have to work that hard anymore because they're already at the top of the mountain. Well, let's go to another studio and see what other girls your age are doing. And it might light a little fire under your tushy. I mean, healthy competition, like healthy encouragement. You're like, Oh, well, mm, I guess I need to up my game or just to see what other people are doing. I love that. And like it, it does, it
1: serves the similar purpose to what the competitions are doing. And we went, um, About two months ago, I took some of my older dancers and we went to one of the other studios. And when they came back, that's literally what they said to me. And their observation, I thought, was great because they said um, it's really cool to see how we have this certain style and they have a style. And it's not that one is better than the other one. We're just different. And I think maybe in a competition forum you know, the, the dancer isn't necessarily allowed to see that in such a healthy way. So I thought that was great. And what a life lesson, just in general, take dance out
2: of it. We got to meet people who were different. They're not better or worse than us. They're just different. And we liked them. <laughs> what a like, nice.
1: nice concept. <laughs> Yes, that's right. Uh, So then, okay, so then we get done with that. Then we do our holiday show. Holiday show is traditionally our biggest um, community event, and it varies. So like this year, we felt, you know, um, like we needed kind of an easy approach. So all of my teachers just literally choreographed to Christmas music, and we put on like a big show. Uh, and we raised money for a little girl in our community with leukemia. And we raised money for Christmas gifts for a family who just lost their dad to cancer. Um, so that that's But other years I have written an entire like musical and we've danced it and sang it. We've done things where we did like a Polar Express and a local singing group came in and they sang while we danced we've tried different things. It's always, it's an adventure. You never know. (laughs) So we do that. And then, um, then in January, February, March, we do, you know, if we're going to compete That's kind of where we take those months and we think about all of that fun stuff. Um, but in January, before we roll into that, we always have our solo duo gala. Um, and again, solos and duos for us. Um, I think we had 78 of them in the gala this year. And um, we do silent auction fundraising for that, for people in our community. Um, And then every single dancer in our company. So I have about 200 students and I have about 50 in company, usually is my numbers. So those 50 students um, are all offered solos, duos, trios, which we choreograph over the summer, which is great summer income by the way, (laughs) for people who struggle in the summertime, that's, that's our summer income. Um, And then we do the gala, then we do a few competitions, and then we have our recital. Hold on, I want to hear more about the gala. So um, do you,
2: you do it in like a, uh, an event venue? Or do you do it at the
1: studio? Do you do it at a community center? We Is have it done it on, it on stage before um, this year. We, we were on stage just because we haven't been on stage in so long. We wanted to be like up on a stage again, but we have done it in like a hotel ballroom situation with food and drinks. Um, we've done our gala before as a preview for our ballet. And so, and, and we were going to do Cinderella as our ballet. Then we did like a, a Cinderella party for little kids or one year we did Alice in Wonderland. So we had a tea party as our gala. So we sometimes tie that in um, with what we're going to do as our, our ballet for the year. Um, So we go, I don't know. I I am very creative and I hate to miss anything that pops in my brain. So I change it all the time. (laughs) That's good to
2: change it up and keep it fresh. Do you charge like a higher ticket price for the gala because there's food and catering and that kind of thing?
1: Well, here's another random thing that probably people will be a little shocked at. I don't charge for any shows. I do donations only at the door. And I have found that we do much better with donations at the door than I ever did selling tickets. Really? Huh? Yes. So what people
2: like drop a check for like 50 bucks or a
1: hundred bucks or something in there. I have people that come and they can only afford $5 and that's fine. And I have people that come and write a check for 200. So I, and because you know, it is for charity, I think that that is a different outlook, but I've always felt like, and I do that for all my shows. You, You recital, there's no recital fee. For my dancers, um, everything's rolled into their tuition and, um, it's just, if they want to donate at the door for recital, they can do that. It's just really worked for me. Um, might not work for everybody, but my people are very giving and it's, we're very community based. So I've never had a problem. I changed to that, gosh, maybe 10 years ago and I would never go back. Wow. That's remarkable. For
0: the studio owners like myself
1: who do one production a year,
0: but would like to add something else to their calendar to, you know, keep things exciting throughout the season. What would you say is like the easiest place to get started with adding a second performance? Like, should it be a holiday show? Should it be a, like an early, late, like a late winter, early spring show?
1: Like, how did you add in a second event? I think that the gala um, to start off a new year, uh, you know, like literally a new year, not the new season, January, February ish, is a great thing to do. People now know that like traditionally, if they're thinking Super Bowl, they should think gala. (laughs) We kind of are like a week before usually the Super Bowl. Um, And I mean, I don't know, you know, I've done the gala. Before I had a lot of soloists, it was, you know, our routines, our dances, kind of like a glorified dress rehearsal for our dancers. So it's very simple. And if you have parents that are willing to chip in, um, we've done it where like parents bring in trays of cookies and punch and they do all of that. They decorate, they do everything for me. And I just walk in with my dancers. So from a director's point of view, I think that's probably the easiest one.
0: And I'm just, and I'm just curious about what methods you take for accepting donations at the door. Like,
1: are you doing Venmo? Are you doing PayPal? Are you just doing cash and check? I, if I do Venmo or PayPal, it goes directly to the person that we're doing the event for. Oh, cool. So it doesn't pass through me. And I've had people just make maybe an account for that day kind of a thing and then transfer it over to their bank.
2: Hmm. Another um, event that would be probably pretty easy to do for your first one out is like we do, we call it the fall tour and we just do different um, appearances at community festivals. And um, what I like about that is that we prepare for that during the summer. So like you were saying, you know, we have to motivate our students to be at the studio in the summer. and if there's a performance at the end, parents are, and students are much more motivated to have good attendance and to be there and to pay for it because they know that there's going to be a performance at the end. So we do um, that. That's a pretty easy one to start because you don't have to rent a venue. You, and right. you don't have to s- promote it that much because the, the event is promoting it. And um You don't, you just show up and dance. (laughs) Well, for us, we have to lug a dance floor and a sound system, but in some cases that's provided, but that, that's a relatively easy one as well.
1: The hardest thing I ever did on the flip side is during the pandemic, we did a full ballet of Beauty and the Beast. Um, and we live streamed it because no one could be in the audience and we got a barn, And we rolled out a floor and we decorated and we did three performances, live streamed, and it was all people Venmo'd and PayPal'd in their donations. That was a nightmare. (laughs) Was it? Yeah.
0: That sounds like a lot. So do you like figure out what your overhead is just to run the show and retain that amount of money and then anything you make over that goes to the family
1: that you're raising money for or is it everything so usually i um would charge so for instance we've got coming up in the summer we're doing a six week summer ballet um intensive with a guest artist and at the end of it they're going to put on a little mini ballet to peter pan so i will absorb the cost of the peter pan ballet through the fee i charge for the intensive so I usually do not take anything out of the proceeds. I kind of try to incorporate what I think that's going to be into the fee that I charge the dancers initially.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Very cool.
2: I have a question about fundraising because this has actually come up at my studio. We we have a, you're a for-profit business. Yes. So as are we, but we have a, um, Youth Ballet that's a 501c3 nonprofit and we do fundraising for the youth ballet but we never do fundraising for the studio because it's a business but um we we recently started doing musicals and the musicals families want to do a fundraiser and so there was this all this excitement about doing a raffle for the musical and then someone was like you can't do that for a for-profit business. but my question is can you do it if first of all you're not promising that it's tax deductible because it's not and secondly if if my dance studio absorbed the income and paid uh, and and reported it as income and paid taxes on it is it then allowed
1: that's exactly what i do okay so i was very like no fundraising no fundraising i just i was always very against it i've also thought that it's kind of You know, amongst the parents, sometimes it creates a little havoc and drama. So, um, I have a wonderful, wonderful girl who used to dance with me and my mom. And her children are now in my company. And she's, like, incredibly business savvy. And that's her real job. And so, she runs my office. And she said, listen, this is what you can do. So, they know, for instance, they're going to sell spring flower baskets and what they raise pays for their summer intensive. So they won't owe me anything for summer intensive. They cannot advertise that they can't, they're just dancer selling flower baskets. They can't use my name in any way, but literally that money comes to me as income. And then I show that that income is applied directly to their intensive. And then I pay taxes on that money. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Okay. And we're not giving tax advice or legal advice. So check with yeah. your, your, yeah, this is what my tax person told me to do also. So that's, you know, but I I've been very, you know, eh, about the whole situation it's, and unless you have a group of parents that are willing to go and, and form their own club, which and get get, get enough status, it, it's difficult at best. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that
2: little tidbit. Keep going. You're giving
1: us so many good ideas. Well, goodness. So we're now, where are we? We're holiday show gala, competition season. Um, Then we get ready for our recital. Um, I love recital. I'm crazy about, in my my past life, and this might not speak to the younger teachers, but my dream was to be Julie on the love boat. Like all I ever wanted to do was be an event planner. So... (laughs) So I, I remember she was, she was only on the Lopo. Lopo. <laughs> wanted to be her so badly. So <laughs> So I love the recital. We always have a theme. Um, we always go all in for the theme um, and the company dancers. we do a student level show in the afternoon and then we do a, a company show in the evening. And um, because all my solos performed at Gala, our shows are short and sweet. We have no solos or duos or trios in our shows. We have groups only. And um, we do the first act is all of our company competition dances. The second act is our theme. We do a huge senior salute for our graduating seniors. Um, Last year, it was on the night of our graduating seniors prom. So at the end, uh, we had a a prom for her after the show (laughs) at the event, which was fun. And then we traditionally have some kind of a a picnic or something the day after to wrap it up for the kids that are going to be graduating and kind of put a pin in it for the official end of that season.
0: I love that idea. I've always wanted to do like a post recital picnic. I thought I always thought that would be such a great idea, but I'm so dead after a recital. I'm like, I can't plan or organize or facilitate any single thing for like at least another two weeks.
1: Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't even think about it right now i um last year so the last two years during the pandemic we rented a huge um, outdoor wedding venue barn it was beautiful it was, it was really really beautiful and um we put tents outside for dressing rooms and i got food trucks so we did the picnic like we were just there all day because we had to you know socially distance so a, a group would come in for 20 minutes and they had like, 20 minutes to perform Take their pictures and grab a bite to eat. So we did that for two days straight.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. You are quite
1: the organizer. You are an event planner. I love it. (laughs) I'll do it for all of you, really. I don't mind. It's great, it's fun. And then we traditionally take the month of June off. So I recover for the month of June. Mm -hmm. And then we run a full summer program. In July, and we do a summer ballet, and then we wrap up summer with a ballet production, and then we go into intensives, and then we start it all over again. That is so
0: awesome. So are you like for your gala and your ballet production, are you renting a full venue or is it more small scale?
1: The gala is usually small scale. Um, we get just a backdrop and um if the parents decide the parents always do like the baskets and they run all of that as the fundraiser for whoever we're doing the show for, um, the recital, I do get a local school and we do a a regular stage venue for that and decorate for the theme and do all the crazy things. Yeah. And what about the summer ballet? Summer ballet is small. Um, We try to make it more about the classes leading up to it. Um, And then we do like a mini ballet. Um, I've done like Little Women before, which was just in four scenes. We have done two full-length ballets in the last like eight years. And I like to space those out. If I'm going to do a full-length ballet, yeah. It's a lot. So I prefer to do like mini ballets where we just take scenes and kind of string them together um, because we're letting everybody who does the ballet intensive in, including three year olds. So we'll do like, you know, pirates and we'll have maybe some mermaids or, you know, we'll come up with different things that'll involve all the little ones and they'll have like one big dance that they'll do, but we'll make it like a short version of Peter Pan taking a lot of liberties with Peter Pan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so great. I love that. Are you also doing the choreography
2: or are you, because my mind is exploding. If you are doing all the event co- the coordination, running the business, managing all the financials of all of these fundraisers, and then also in the classroom choreographing and or teaching are you doing all wearing all of those hats or
1: which hats do you wear on the average i teach between 40 and 50 hours a week Uh, so yes and i choreographed 64 dances this season um the ballet i do i produce it and i assist but i have someone else who does the ballet choreography which is a blessing she's um, Eileen Honk. Um, Here's a little mini story. Um, she had a studio about an hour from me, and she unfortunately couldn't see her way through the pandemic and had to close her business. Mm. She contacted me and sent some students my way. So it's been in the back of my brain. So I reached out to her and I was like, so I know you're not reopening. Would you be interested in coming in as the ballet mistress? And she jumped at it. So now this is like, this shows like two studios don't have to be competitive. We've really helped each other out through all of this. That's great. Yeah. That's a good story. That is a good story. I love that. She's so qualified and, and such a nice person. So it's, it's great to be able to work together. Beautiful. So after
2: teaching and choreographing 40, 40 to 50 hours a week, do you have
1: any other things in your life or is is it sleep, choreograph? I do. Uh, well, my daughter, she's my most amazing thing in my life. She's now a fourth grade teacher. She's 25. Mm. And I raised her um, since the age of four. It was just her and I. Um, and she's pretty amazing. She did go through 40 surgeries. And she's one very, very persistent and amazing individual. And if you look, move in with Maddie, she has her own social media with her own choreography up so people can check her out. Oh, cool. And we really balance each other out at the studio. Um she sort of has my mom's personality. So she's very <laughs> like my mom was very boom, you know? And I'm more like, if 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 they're gonna have like a, a pyramid, I'm gonna have a circle. So We're different and we balance each other out. I do more of the littles and she does more of the advanced students. um, And she does more of the contemporary and I do more of the tap. So that's been really good. So I have her and she works, um, God bless her, all day as a school teacher and still comes to the studio three to four nights a week. Wow. And works. Yes. And then she goes home to her, her guy and they have their own place. And we all have dachshunds, miniature dachshunds. Oh, my gosh yeah how many do you have i have two and they have one so i have a black and tan and a red and they have a long-haired red um so we love our toxins and i also write and i garden and i knit oh and i drink wine oh good (laughs) necessary perfect awesome that's very impressive very impressive I have a lot of energy. When I was a child, they would tell you that I had too much energy. I'm sure that, you know, back in the day I would have been a poster child for ADHD, but I'm like, I'm really glad no one diagnosed me because I would never achieve everything that I do. I Mm.
2: do the same. Yeah. Well, good for you. You're just living the best life and getting so much done and giving back.
1: I'm very inspired by that. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. I'm lucky I have a community that supports me. So, you know, that's the battle.
0: Um, how do you find the families or the patients
1: that you are specifically are working to help? So I I have some very long lasting relationships with these families. Mm-hmm. Um, through Some of them have lost their child mm-hmm. um, and I'm still close with them. Currently, we've been doing some things for um, a boy that I remember as being a toddler in my studio hanging out while his sisters danced. And he is now a teenager who's battling cancer. And to reconnect with that family that danced with me so many years ago um, has been something really incredible and special. Um, And now like they're sending their children and their grandchildren to the studio Mm. to take from me because we did lend a hand and they remembered, you know, oh, that was really a great part of our life. So it, it's all about building those connections. And I know, I know, I build connections when I go to competition. We just went to Star Power a few weeks ago. And I have to say, every director was friendly and nice. The staff was amazing. My dancers left, like we made new friends. So we do make those connections too. But I think... You know, Joe down the street doesn't really care if your kids win a trophy, but Joe down the street might know somebody that you helped Mm -hmm. and he's always going to remember that. And if you're looking to build a community that's going to be like a referral for your business, I couldn't say more about my approach because I have at least 10 people a season that walk in and say, You know, you guys did the show for my neighbor or my cousin or whoever. And I always knew when it was time for my kid to dance, I was going to bring them to you. So something to think about. So how many students do you have? We average about 200 total with about 50 in our company. Wow. Yeah, we're near um, Fort Drum Army Base. So we do have like a big rollover, you know, Mm -hmm. of people. Um traditionally, my Saturday morning is run by one of our senior ambassadors and a studio intern. And that program is what I call our, our rollover. You know, we get a lot of Fort Trump families. They're here for a year, maybe two, and then it's a whole new group. So we have that aspect of it, too.
2: hmm it's clever that you instead of having that be a disruption to your regular student population like oh we've got this kid and she's learning all this stuff but she's going to be leaving right before the show just kind of separating them out and making their own pro- program that's brilliant um, because then you can you can kind of do i guess drop in classes focus more on the content of the class and not so much on a
1: performance maybe And not even the students, like I have a lot of teachers in the community or a lot of directors in the community that will not hire people that come in from military families that that are dancers. They're looking to get jobs because, you know, they're like, well, they're only going to be here for a little bit. But my theory is we live in Watertown, New York. Where else am I going to be lucky enough? You know, I've had um, people that danced with Lamone and people that danced with the North Carolina Ballet Company and, They're, you know, sure, they're only here for a year or two, but wow, my kids get to dance with them.
2: And that's great. And I'm sure you've already done this, but you could have your company dancers. learn. I mean, if if there's a former Lamone dancer coming through for six weeks, my company dancers are going to learn from that person for six weeks. Right?
1: Exactly.
2: Yes. So many people have kind of put their fingerprints on my studio and that's what, that's what makes it. It's not just your core teachers that are there for years and years and years. They're super important too, but you want right. people passing through to put
1: their fingerprints on your day. I have a, a young lady that came in and, and no other studio would even look at her for their company. Cause she came in and they were like, you know, no, we're already set for the season. And, and she came in and she was like, I really, really want to dance at the time she was 16. And I, you know, I let her go in and dance and she's just beautiful. So this was before we were going to do Beauty and the Beast. And I took her on and I was like, you know, we have limited opportunities, but absolutely come and dance with us. Well, then I had two of my girls actually test positive and have to go into quarantine. And she'd been with me two weeks and she stepped in <laughs> for one of the main parts in Beauty and the Beast. And so that was like a godsend. And now... She's staying on, she's doing online college and she's going to work for me next year. Great. You never know where things are going to lead, right? Yeah. Keep an open mind and an open door. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely.
0: Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for, um, for being here with us and for sharing all of your amazing ideas. We really appreciate it. Um, let's finish with our heart happy moments. Robin, what was yours? So we're back from
2: Florida and we um, arrived in Pennsylvania just in time for our big open Marley night weekend, which I'm sure we'll talk about on another episode. Um, But I was so worried that my granddaughter, Genevieve, who's one and a half now, um, wouldn't remember me because I've been gone for three months and it was it's a big percentage of her life that I was gone, even though we FaceTimed. I was so worried that she wasn't going to remember me. And Nick and Allie brought her to the studio on Saturday, and she just ran right up to me and put her arms up and wouldn't let me put her down. And I got to hang out with her for about two hours at the studio. I walk. And you know what? It's cute because we'll sit, I was at the front desk. I was the most unprofessional front desk person. Like I had everything cleared away so she could color with the highlighting pens. And, you know, I was so distracted, like I, <laughs> the place could be burning down. I was like, I am not running the desk right now, even though I'm sitting here. But um, then I said at one point, I was like, do you want to go see the dancers? And she pointed to the steps. Like she knows that when she comes see grandma Robin at the studio, it's about the dancers. And then the next day, we went to um, our venue for our, our, our gala, our gala um, Open Marley night, and um, she was there to watch the rehearsal, and she just was in awe, just mesmerized by the dancers, and she knew not to step on the dance floor. Like all you had to do was tell her no, you know, like, you don't like run across the dance floor. If you've got to get from A to B, you got to go around it. And, um, she, it, it was just, I'm dreaming of her being a dancer and she's doing all the right thing.
0: Aww. Anyway, that's my heart happy moment. <laughs> that's great. Rhonda, what was your heart happy moment?
1: My heart happy moment is that is the 12th birthday of Shotzi, my sweet little dachshund and, Aww. uh, she had like the, the dachshund back surgery when she was six years old and we didn't know if she was going to make it. So she's like my super special little dachshund and my friend for life. Um, <laughs> and so we had, we had our own little birthday party for her today. So very wow. happy that she's here to celebrate with us.
0: Oh, that's so lovely. Um, let's see a heart happy moment. Um, well, kind of a weird one, but my, my sweet baby angel, my cat Henry died this past week. And while that, you know, very, very sad. And I'm, you know, very heartbroken over that. He was 15. Um, but I like made a big post about it on Facebook and like shared all these pictures of him. And so many of my friends and like former roommates and former partners, like commented about like memories that they had with my cat or, like yeah. reasons Aww. why they loved him or, you know, things like that. And it was just so sweet to have people like reach out and, you know, just share memories they had with my cat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I thought we had a little bit more time with him, but he died in my arms peacefully. So it was okay.
2: Oh, see? that's beautiful. And I've done that too, where I say that the death of a pet, was beautiful and people look at you a little straight and it's like it was the celebration of the memories and the the animal's life Mm -hmm. the gathering of the family together to just share in this moment like that's the beautiful part and you know remember everything yeah oh
0: yeah
2: Uh, um, henry he was blind or deaf which
0: henry was blind yeah my dog that i still have is deaf Yeah. All right. Well, Rhonda, thank you again for being with us. It's been lovely to chat you with you and me. to meet you and get um, to meet you
1: in person soon.
0: Yes, that would be phenomenal. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and go to our website, dance studio Owner to learn more about our retreat this summer in Phoenix, Arizona, June 27th through 29th. All right, bye everybody.